Countries like Canada and Germany are accepting large numbers of refugees. But an increasing number of countries around the world are taking on the political mantra of the American government to put America first. How does the Bible call us to treat those who are not like us? Hi, my name is Dan Dick, and welcome to Church Matters. For today's episode, we're sharing with you a teaching by Pastor Terry Zimmerly entitled, A Call to Compassion. It's based on scriptures found in Luke chapters 6 and 7. Terry Zimmerly is the senior pastor at Home Street Mennonite Church in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Good morning. The peace of Christ be with you all. As we come to this time of learning of Jesus, we want to do so so that we can follow him. We know that he weeps. He weeps with our nation at the shooting of the six Muslim worshipers in Quebec. We know that Jesus weeps at the walls we put up. He weeps at Islamophobia. Jesus is troubled by the violence and systemic oppression of women, the powerless, racial and ethnic minorities. Know that Jesus is present in the civil unrest, yearning for tolerance, for peace, and for justice for all peoples, regardless of racial, national, gender, or economic identity. We come knowing that Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, invites us to grow as communities of grace, joy, and peace so that God's healing and hope flows through us to the world. We continue this morning following through the Gospel of Luke, and it is important that we pay attention to Jesus because we are people who are part of the church. And the church is, the writers of the New Testament tell us, the body of Christ. As Mennonite churches, we have discerned our mission is to follow Jesus Christ. So this morning, let's commit ourselves to really paying attention. Paying attention to what Scripture is telling us about this Jesus whom we are to follow. This morning, I would like to talk to you about compassion. I would like you to hear Jesus' words immediately preceding this morning's scripture reading from Luke, where Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, be compassionate just as your Father God is compassionate. I would like you to consider giving your life to following Jesus through coming to believe that he has compassion for you. I would like to invite you to request God's help in your life. 
Compassion is a very interesting word in the Greek language. Splagchizomiai. It's quite a word, quite a mouthful. Try saying that with spaghetti in your mouth. <laughs> Splagchizomiai. Compassion comes from the root splagshna, which means intestines. With this background, splagchizomiai conjures up the image of overlapping, gut-wrenching digestion. Compassion is a foundational emotion, coming from the very center of our being where we digest food, we hunger, we desire, we yearn for satisfaction, for satiation. The word splagchizomiai kind of sounds a little bit like spaghetti to me. The crisscrossing noodles, intestine-like, perhaps if you have an active imagination. Jesus invites us to have compassion, like God has compassion. And Jesus gets very specific about what this compassion looks like. Godly compassion will lead us to be like God in loving enemies, in doing good to those who abuse us, and even lending to those we know won't pay us back. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36, Instead, love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. If you do, you will have a great reward. You will be acting as children of the Most High. For he is gracious to ungrateful and wicked people. Be compassionate, just as your Father God is compassionate. Think about this for a moment. For he, meaning God, is kind to ungrateful and wicked people. This is astounding. So astounding that Luke knows we, like the first readers of the New Testament, most likely would not really truly hear what Jesus is saying. Therefore, Luke tells us two stories illustrating what it means to love enemies and be compassionate. Jesus loves the centurion and he has compassion for a widow. Now we need to understand that centurions were commanders of 80 or so Roman soldiers. These were the enemy occupiers of Israel. According to 5th century writings of Vercellius in De Re Militariae, Centurions were powerful men. They were chosen for their wisdom, experience, physical size, strength, and military prowess. They needed to be literate, at least 30 years old, and have served in the army a few years. 
They needed to have an extraordinary character, be vigilant, temperate, quick at executing orders, strict in exercising, and disciplined, and also be adept at training those in their charge. They were to be expert at throwing spears and wielding swords and shields. What I would like you to notice this morning is that this powerful man did not think it beneath him to ask for help from Jesus. Even though he was the enemy, he did not hesitate to send for Jesus, to let Jesus know his need. And then when Jesus comes, he evidences further humility. He says, Lord, don't be bothered. I don't even deserve to have you come under my roof. In fact, I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. Luke chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. This powerful person, this enemy of the Jewish people, is shown to be just, temperate, compassionate, and generous in his position of power, we read. We are told that he used his wealth to build a synagogue for the Jews at Capernaum. He humbled himself in his need to come to Jesus for help for his servant. His compassion for his servant motivated him to seek out Jesus for help. How easy it is to dismiss our enemies and not see him or her as a fellow human being capable of love and compassion. When I was in seminary in Chicago, we visited a large bank, one of the largest and most powerful financial institutions in the United States at the time. The executive vice president invited me to lunch after I volunteered to do some research for him on a charitable giving idea he had for the urban ministry. As we met in a downtown restaurant, I felt small and insignificant. 25 years old, eating with a person I hardly knew anything about, except that he was extremely wealthy and powerful. All he basically knew about me was that I was in seminary, recently married, and that we were expecting our first child. Remarkably, the visit did not go as I expected. This powerful man began to talk to me of his deep pain. His wife had recently died of cancer. He didn't know how to live with the grief. He had everything money could buy, but he did not have the one thing he wanted most, his life's partner. He wondered what the future would hold for him. He talked of faith, his yearnings for God, his yearnings for peace. I prayed with him. We were two human beings on the road of life, worlds apart in life circumstance, yet common siblings of the Creator God. Jesus, in his compassion, brought us together, I'd like to think. 
I still remember the joy I felt running to catch my bus after leaving the restaurant with him. I believe Jesus invites us into relationship with persons different from ourselves, perhaps persons we have written off as enemy or other, unfaithful in some way. Jesus invites us into relationship with persons different from ourselves so that we can experience God's compassion in surprising ways. Jesus was impressed with the faith of the centurion, the Bible tells us, saying that even in Israel, I haven't found faith like this. If the centurion could come to Jesus, even as an official enemy of Jesus' people, the Jews, all of us, regardless of what we have done or who we have become, can come to Jesus as well. Jesus is longing to heal and help us with whatever concerns us. And the good news is, if we are incapable of asking Jesus for help, Jesus' compassion can come to us. We see this in the second story Jesus tells us. Jesus is traveling in a great crowd, a parade, celebrating life and faith. The centurion's servant has just been reported healed, after all, and there is a lot of excitement. And they are coming down the street when what is coming the other way? But another parade, a parade following a dead man, followed by his mother and a crowd of mourners. The dead man was her only son. The two large parades meet on the street in very different moods. One crowd elated and dancing and the other deflated and mourning. Now we need to understand a few things about life at the time of Jesus that are a little different than modern day North America. In those days, male children were extremely important. The society was patriarchal. Men had basically all the power. All the earning and owning potential was the male's prerogative. And this mother had lost her only son. The mother had lost her future. She had lost her pension plan, her nursing home, her life savings, her hope. There was literally nothing left for her in that society. There was no govern government safety net. There was no potential for her to make a life for herself. No opportunity, no future potential. And then Jesus saw her. It is so easy not to really see another person, especially a person in pain and in grief. This past week, I spent Thursday and Friday in training with a number of physicians and medical ethicists, as well as counselors. The instructor challenged us to really take time and see those who come to us for comfort, healing, and redress. He challenged us to acquire phronesis, 
which is the practical wisdom of compassion, so that we can really be present to people, mindful and know when to slow down, sit down, spend extra time and really listen. Jesus saw her, saw this grieving mother, and he slowed down. He interrupted his own journey. He touched the stretcher where the dead son lay. Jesus had for her, a deep, gut-wrenching compassion. Jesus' soul was touched. His heart ached for her. He stopped his life parade for the funeral procession of the woman following her dead son. Sometimes Jesus comes to us when we cannot come to him. When we are too tired, too hopeless, too overwhelmed with life, at these times we need but we cannot even proceed to ask for help or even imagine what a future we could have. This woman was consumed by her grief and loss because it was real and it was final. We must not minimize her suffering or her situation. We must recognize her devastating situation and circumstance and experience for what it is, complete and utter hell. But we are also invited to hear and see Jesus coming to her in her torment. Don't cry, Jesus says to her. Jesus comes to her in her hopelessness. He sees her. He slows down. He takes time. He is present to her pain, and he interrupts it. Jesus exercises what my instructor called pronesis, a wisdom that comes from deep compassion. He knows when to break the rules and interrupt a person with shocking, unexpected, resurrection life through compassionate presence. Jesus, as a rabbi of the Jewish faith, knew that he was not supposed to touch the stretcher with a dead man on it, or he would become unclean. Jesus knew that you do not speak to a dead man, but Jesus broke these rules. Jesus interrupted the woman's crying. Jesus spoke to a dead man. He spoke to the dead man's life, and he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man did. He sat up, and he began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. This morning, I would like to invite you to accept the possibility that Jesus is willing to help you. Whether you are a strong, powerful person like the centurion who looks to Jesus for a bit of help, or whether you are like the widow who has lost all hope, the compassionate Jesus sees, hears, 
and responds. I invite you to relationship with Jesus. The Bible says we are to make our request known to God, to ask God for what we need. The Bible invites us to consider, even in our hopelessness, God can and will make a way. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust God and lean not on your own understanding, and God will give you what you need. Come follow Jesus and allow God's healing and hope to flow through you to the world. Amen. Thank you to Pastor Zimmerly and Home Street Mennonite Church for sharing these words of wisdom with our listeners. You're invited to join me again in just four weeks for another episode of Church Matters. We're here for you at 8.45 a.m. on the third Sunday of each month. We love to hear from our listeners, whether it's by email, phone, or snail mail. Tell us what's on your mind via churchmatters at mennonitechurch.ca or mail us at 600 Shaftesbury Boulevard, Winnipeg, Manitoba, R3P0M4. We're happy to receive your phone calls and always appreciate your financial support. Call 1-866-888-6785 or visit mennonitechurch.ca and click on the donate link. I'm your host, Dan Dick. Know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.